Tiffany, and you're listening to the Busy Bitch Podcast and Book Club. I'm a 20-something-year-old teacher that takes on way too much, but honestly, couldn't imagine life any other way. During COVID lockdown, I reconnected with my love of reading, but realized I have no one to talk to about these books. I read a bit of everything, so if you have almost no one to discuss books with, love to read, and read a wide variety of books, join me here each and every Hey, so you know this is called the Busy Bitch Podcast, right? Well, it happened. The busy part was just too much. I took way too much onto my plate this week and I wasn't able to finish the book by Wednesday night so I couldn't type up my thoughts on the book Thursday and that meant I couldn't record the episode on Friday. So instead of killing myself by reading nonstop, I decided to give myself some grace and break this book into two weeks. So this week we'll talk about chapters 1 through 13 and Next week, we'll be back to talk about the rest of it. So, let's do this thing. When I first started reading, I was worried because I really suck at remembering names of characters in books. Especially if they're names that I'm not familiar with and or can't pronounce. Luckily, I'm a total mythology nerd and geek out on Greek myths. So I was familiar with a lot of these names. If you are a Greek mythology nerd like myself or would like to be a Greek mythology nerd like me, I highly recommend Let's Talk About Myths, baby. It's a podcast. It's honestly one of my favorites. And Liv, she's the host and is fantastic at what she does. She is so knowledgeable and passionate about sharing myths. She doesn't even know I'm telling you this. It's not a paid advertisement. This is just me being honest, sharing with you something great that I've been listening to for, I don't know, two, two, three years now. I couldn't even tell you how long. So again, it's just my honest opinion. You should check it out. Anyways, Back to the book. Like a few of the other books, um, I just wasn't really into it at first. I read and read and read. And it was fine. But just alright. Like, I was okay putting the book down at a moment's notice. And this wasn't due to the writing style. Which made me feel like, for Cersei, her life must have been fairly boring. That is, until she started caring for her brother. And really, it got spicy when she met Glaucos. But I'm not really sure how to say his name, so just go with it, alright? But that's not where I want to start. I want to back up a bit and talk about her mother. Now... Say what you will about her mother being a bitch and super unkind. Maybe even some sort of gold digger, but instead of gold, she's digging for power. Is there a word for that? Let me know. I fully believe all of those things about her mother. But I also believe that her mother was smart, creative, and knew 
how to get what she wanted. Maybe conniving is the word I'm looking for. She made demands to a god. A god who I assume got whatever he wanted because that's what gods do, right? You know that old adage, why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? I think people spew that out there, you know, to to get you to be abstinent uh, until marriage. But that's pretty much what she was living by when Helios, Helios, I don't know, guys, approached her. She told him she wasn't parting her legs until he put a ring on it. Little Beyonce move there, right? And furthermore, he could continue to fuck whoever he wanted. But he would not be bringing any of them home. And while this is not how marriage should be or is nowadays... I think she was so clever for it during a time when, when men were not faithful to their to their wives, especially if they were a god or held any power at all. I mean, do you know how many, I'd say people, but I think things is a more proper term, uh, that Zeus has fucked? And his wife is Hera, and, you know, Zeus just goes around fucking and raping anyone he wants. Anyway, I um feel like her father's blessing and thoughts on her making a fair match with a prince um really set her up as a failure in her mother's eyes. Her her faults were pointed out before she was even, what, a whole day old? And, according to them, that's that. It sounds like from that moment on, everyone was unkind to her. They called her names, made fun of her voice, and just stepped all over her any chance they got. It's really hard for me to fathom her growing up, being treated like trash, and yet still being able to show kindness to anyone. But especially... Her uncle, Prometheus, who is under continuous torture for helping us humans by giving us the gift of fire. Which really, thanks dude, because without that, I mean, we'd be dead. We have no other mode of survival. She knew that she could be punished for showing kindness to this man, and yet, she did it. Yeah, she was a bit fearful, but I think she somehow knew it was the right thing to do. Of course, her mom was not a doting mother unless they were blessed and had some favorable prophecy. So when a brother was born without a prophecy, mom passed him right along to anyone that would take him. And the only one was Circe. The thing that makes me laugh the most is that for each child, she wept. <laughs> and that's what the book calls it. Not even birthed. She gets a string of amber beads. It's like a push present, but for the olden days, you know? It's like she's only doing it for the beads and she's oh so proud to show them off.
Anyways, that brother, 80s, which means Eagle, is really Cersei's only source of comfort and camaraderie, but that doesn't last long. Because Aedes was invited to sit beside her father in councils and invited to the halls while Circe was left to her rooms. Her brother had the freedom to scope out a special spot on the shoreline and that's where I realized that her uncle was a god of prophecy. Which made me wonder, back when Circe and him were talking and he asked her name, he sort of smirked. Is it because it was then he knew what would become of her? Shortly after that, by the way, I wonder what shortly after that means to gods who live indefinitely. Like, to me, it's maybe like a matter of days at most. But for them, maybe years, hundreds of years. Anyway, her sister, Pasiphae was married off, and during the wedding, Cersei finds out that Aedes will be leaving for a kingdom of his very own. And of course, he won't be bringing her along because, let me guess, she isn't a good enough reason to stand up to their father. Come on, dude. Without her, you'd probably be dead. But gods are pretty much only looking out for themselves, and that's what makes Cersei different. Like her uncle said, not all gods have to be the same. And I'm pretty sure he was talking about her. So Aedes leaves and she is left once again to fend for herself. They still treat her like crap and she just sort of takes it and goes through life as she did before. Except now, she visits that shore her brother found for them and one day, a boat comes, and they have the most awkward greeting. Hail, mortal! Like, who says that? But maybe that's what was said back then, or maybe it's just how God talks to us mere mortals. Can you imagine being at the grocery store checkout line and say, Hail, checker! Or at the restaurant. Hail, waitress. Pre Hail, waitress. Please bring me more wine. <laughs> I can only imagine the weird-ass looks you'd get. This man she meets is obviously and understandably hesitant and fearful at first. I mean, the gods don't exactly have a great rep with us mere mortals. But he visits day after day and a friendship blossoms and then slowly morphs into something possibly much, much more. Eventually... Cersei takes him over to a field of flowers that will transform him into his truest self. Man, she's really lucky that his truest self is a god. I mean, it could have been anything. But my heart sunk right after he woke up and realized that he was changed. I could just tell in that very, very moment that he really started thinking of himself differently. Like, she wasn't going to be good enough for him anymore. And that made me really sad. 
because this is the second man that she has helped and had been left behind. And, well, that's sort of how it worked out, too. He gains a lot of attention and he starts to go after Scylla. Now, at the hearing of her name, I thought, huh, how do I know that name? Because let's be, let's be real. It's not a name you hear every day, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Of course, Circe gets a bit jealous and confronts Glucose, Glucose. I don't know, guys, I suck at this. She practically begs him, and he calls her a sister and sends her away. It is then that she decides to use those same flowers to turn Scylla into her truest form. After she starts to make fun of Glaucus and his flipper feet. She knows that this could doom her to punishment, but she deems it worth it because... And I quote, Every lash upon my skin would be only further proof to Glucose of my love. Which I find oh so sad and very, very poetic. But sad. Like, if you're going to do this, do it for you, girl. Be strong. Do it because you're pissed at her. Don't do it to prove your love for him. He obviously isn't worth your love. That's so much easier to see when it's not you who is in love. It soon is realized that she is using the flowers to transform people, and her brother Aetes even confirms it and says that him and all his siblings are witches. They all can use this magic. He even demonstrates it by healing her blistered skin, which confused me. When she got blistered, because I just figured, like, that's not a thing that could even happen. But I thought as, as a god, she'd heal so much faster. Like, when her mom gave birth, she just popped right up and was like, well, let's go make another one. So I thought she'd heal faster. But I guess it does say that she never really had all the powers that most of them have. So maybe that's why she didn't heal so fast. Either way. It was a good way to show how powerful Aetes is. So, as punishment, she was sent to live in, in exile on what sounds like an absolutely beautiful island. It has a house and is well-stocked. Honestly, doesn't really seem like a punishment at all to me. Like, if I could have gone there for the past year and completely avoided this whole COVID situation, I would have been there in a heartbeat. No questions asked. But, of course, her father didn't do this for her. It was to prove a point that their kind, even the exiled, lived greatly. So, on that island, she fine-tunes her abilities and learns through trial and error. She had to be very resilient in order to do that time and again without any guidance. Then one day, Hermes shows up. As a mythology geek, I do love Hermes. He's always playing the pranks, and I feel like that must just spice up the lives for those gods. And just like that, 
Cersei and him are lovers. I really didn't see that coming. But good for her. She deserves to have some sex and get what she needs, even while exiled. And let's be real. It's not like she can be picky. She doesn't have a bunch of men showing up on the island. I mean, if some prisoners get conjugal visits, why shouldn't she get the same thing? During his visits, he uh, also shares news and stories, and she eventually asks about Scylla. Hermes tells her that she has found a, a strait not too far away, with a whirlpool on one side and a cave on the other. And this, right then, is when I realized I know where that name came from. It's from the Odyssey. From this point on, I am just bombarded with the way that these fairly well-known and some even lesser-known myths are weaved through Circe's life. I don't know if this is legit or not, but Madeline Miller does a spectacular job providing more than enough details without getting lost in that specific myth. You don't feel like you're being left out if you don't know it already, right? And the way she intertwines the myth into the story, it just makes sense. It seems so natural. I was highly, highly impressed. Anyways, one day, a boat full of men came to break her exiled island called Ayaya. Again, with these names, I can't pronounce. I'm sorry, you guys. She's being summoned by her sister. And... It is during this trip she learns about the pure white bull and how Daedalus uh, built a contraption that her sister could get inside of in order to get close to the bull. Except she didn't just get close to it. She fucked that bull. Or rather, the bull fucked her. Either way, she ended up pregnant and this little baby was hungry. He ate his way through most or maybe all of the prisoners and was growing stronger and hungrier by the minute. In the end, Circe creates uh, a spell, some magic, to make him only hungry during part of the year. And Daedalus creates a, a maze as a trap or cage for the bull to live in. And with the next ship heading towards her Island of Aiea, she left too, only not before sleeping with Daedalus. Good for her, you know? She needs to broaden her horizon, have sex with more than just one person. And he also gave her a loom and some sheep, which she greatly enjoyed working with a loom and creating dyes for the sheep's wool and all that stuff. Then, then, shit really got cray. A couple came to her island seeking to be cleansed of their deeds. After she agreed, she realized that the woman was related to her. In fact, she was her niece. She helped her now husband become a hero with the use of her magic, of course. And during their escape, she killed her very own brother and hacked him to pieces. Now, hopefully that sounds pretty terrible to us, right? Because, well, it is terrible. No news flash there. But during this time, a lot of things we deem terrible nowadays was just common practice and occurrences back then. 
But even for the time period, killing your own kin is like the biggest no-no you can do. So, of course, Jason already is thinking very little of her and is freaked out by her actions. Now, one of the things I'm starting to really enjoy is the point of view that these myths are being told in. Because this isn't the first time I've noticed it, but I've always heard of this myth about Medea hacking up her brother from a different point of view. So hearing it from Medea's side is oh so interesting. And while I do hate Jason, it does make more sense as far as what happens in the myth. Not sure if that ends up playing out in the book or not though. Anyway, Medea and Jason, they leave and then Aedes shows up and is a combination of pissed off and surprised that Cersei let them leave, as if it was her sole job to hold them captive or something. God, these men, what do they think? So I know, I know, I didn't quite get halfway through the book, and many of you have probably already read the whole thing, but next week I'll be back with the rest of Cersei by Madeline Miller. So until then, happy reading! and podcast image was created, recorded, and edited by me, Tiffany. Music is Voxel Revolution by Kevin McLeod.